Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Oh, thanks for joining me this Friday, October 28th. This was not how I thought we would be starting the show. But you know what? With all of the violent rhetoric, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, it was probably a matter of time before somebody was attacked. And that is indeed what happened to Paul Pelosi, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's husband. Early this morning, an intruder entered their San Francisco home. He was there. She was in Washington. Um, the NBC Bay Area television station um, showed an aerial picture of what appeared to be like a French glass door that was broken. It was difficult to see if it was a window or a door. Uh, it was broken and hanging open and uh, apparently allowed a 42-year-old man who is up to his neck in conspiracy theories to decide that he would finish what the January 6th mob did not, which was um, injuring or killing Nancy Pelosi. He broke into the house. I don't know um, whether Paul Pelosi called the police or maybe uh, him breaking in activated an alarm system, which I hope to God they've got. Um, But authorities showed up to make a quote-unquote wellness check. Entered the house and found Paul Pelosi and this intruder apparently struggling over control of a hammer. As police approached, the assailant got the hammer away from 82-year-old Paul Pelosi and started beating him with it. The police obviously intervened took the man into custody, took Paul Pelosi to the hospital. He was um, reported to be in surgery, not brains. There was an early report that he was having brain surgery. That report has been disputed by Nancy Pelosi's office. And um, they said that he had just, he did have surgery, but he is expected to make a full recovery. Nancy Pelosi's office put out this statement. Early this morning, an assailant broke into the Pelosi residence in San Francisco and violently assaulted Mr. Pelosi. The assailant is in custody and the motivation for the attack is under investigation. Mr. Pelosi was taken to the hospital where he is receiving excellent medical care and is expected to make a full recovery. The speaker was not in San Francisco at the time. The speaker and her family are grateful to the first responders and medical professionals involved and request privacy at this time. Um, The White House press secretary put out a statement on behalf of President Biden this morning The president is praying for Paul Pelosi and for Speaker Pelosi's whole family. This morning, he called Speaker Pelosi to express his support after this horrible attack. 
He's also very glad that a full recovery is expected. The president continues to condemn all violence and asks that the family's desire for privacy be respected. Mitch McConnell put out a statement this morning that he's horrified and disgusted by what happened. And lest there be any concern or thought that, oh, maybe this was just a random attack. Apparently, the assailant was shouting the whole time, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? And the assailant apparently told the police that his plan was to tie Paul Pelosi up and then wait for Nancy. Uh, This guy, whose name is unimportant, is apparently quite the conspiracy theorist, you know, sort of a big my pillow guy, you know, believes all the nuttiness. But that was always the fear, wasn't it? I mean, Republicans who know better and simply are too cowardly to say anything about the crazies in the party. They're not the ones going to show up at Nancy Pelosi's house and try to hammer her husband into unconsciousness, if not death. It's the fact that this kind of talk, this kind of violent talk, This is what lights a fire under the crazy people. And this is what the Republican Party has been too cowardly to extinguish. Um, Tim Hogan was uh, sharing with me something that from about a year ago that Kevin McCarthy said publicly that if he becomes the Speaker of the House, if Republicans take over Congress after the midterms, he said it would be hard to resist hitting Nancy Pelosi with the gavel. One comment might be a drop in the bucket, but it has been a steady rain shower of this kind of crap from Marjorie Taylor Greene and apparently Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump, God knows, What did they think? Did they think that words don't matter? Did they think that that they could say these things and the universe would just absorb this nonsense? No. This is exactly the kind of thing that some people felt was probably inevitable. And, well, here it is. At least Paul Pelosi seems to have survived He is expected to make a full recovery. But um, do you think if the January 6th insurrectionist had caught Nancy Pelosi, do you think they would have just given her a stern talking to? Who was it that thought ahead to bring the materials to build a scaffold to hang Mike Pence from? Do you think if they'd have gotten a hold of Mike Pence, they would have just given him a stern talking to?
This obviously um, is going to be investigated not only by the local San Francisco police, but also by the FBI. I've heard even the Capitol Police are involved. I'm sure that even though she has a security detail, I'm sure it's been beefed up and they're on high alert. When you constantly sell a message of violence, you cannot be shocked and dismayed when people act on your words. The Republican Party has been free and loose with words of violence thinking that what? It's just going to get them some media attention and not there not be any consequences? This is not how I wanted to start this Friday. I just am so grateful that the story I'm telling you is not about the death of Paul Pelosi because it very easily could have been. I mean, he appears to be in pretty good shape for 82 years old, but you know what? I don't care how fit you are or how old you are. You get hit with a hammer. (laughs) Game over, folks. It is Friday. We spend Friday, at least the first half of the show, talking about the news of the day and the news of the week. And opening up the phone lines, let me get that going right now, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Lady B is standing by waiting to get your calls. Uh, there was other news of this day that I was going to talk to you about. I suppose we'll get to that. I am just so disgusted right now. Need more evidence that midterm votes matter? You got it. You got it today. We got to get rid of the crazies. We absolutely have to freaking stand up and take our government back. Let's take a break. We'll continue right after this. This is Barry Moltz with the Small Business Radio Show. And like you, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 25 years. First, I went out of business. Then I got kicked out by my two partners. Then I sold my last business and I was able to pay back the bank the $1.3 million I owed them. And funny enough, my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. Join me Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WCPT 820, where I show you how to get your small business unstuck, grow the company you've always wanted, and finally make the money that you deserve. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Usually on Fridays, we talk about all the news of the previous week, but the breaking news that happened this morning with a... Very radical 42-year-old man breaking into the San Francisco House of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and attacking her 82-year-old husband, Paul, 
with a hammer sending him to the hospital. Uh, it seems to be predominating, uh, at least my thoughts right now. Adam Kinzinger tweeted this out a little while ago. A 42-year-old obsessed with January 6th election conspiracies, religious tones, attacks an 82-year-old man with a hammer. Paul was struggling with him. How terrifying. Thank you to San Francisco police. Every GOP candidate and elected official must speak out and now. Well, one uh, Republican is speaking out. Republican Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin um, has been speaking to a group of people this morning and uh, mentioned that there was a break in at Nancy's Nancy Pelosi's house and that her husband was assaulted. And uh, then what did he say? There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. Yeah, yeah, we're sending her back to California. Get rid of that Nancy Pelosi. Okay, well, we had to hit her husband repeatedly with a hammer to make it happen. But hey, let's look at the big picture. We're get we're sending Nancy Pelosi back to California. How does somebody do that? How does somebody stand in front of a crowd and say, well, you know, there's no room for violence, but (laughs) we're going to send her back to be with him in California. Yay us. And Glenn Youngkin, you know, compared to Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, he was supposed to be the moderate. He was supposed to be the one that walked that fine line of not really being a Trumper, but maintaining Trump support, how he was going to rise above it all and be the moderate governor. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, go to the phone lines now, Lady B. Mark is calling in from the west side. Hey, Mark, how are you today? Oh, okay. Jim from Chicago. Let's go to Jim from Chicago then, Lady B. Yeah. Hi, Joan. Another beautiful Friday. You could pick them. Anyway, Jeez Louise. Uh, uh, I was just going to say that the Republicans have filed a record number of lawsuits against the vote because I think they see the enthusiasm in the country. But let's put the shoe on the other foot. Let's say that somebody broke into uh, a Republican's house, a small D Democrat. It would be blown all over the news and everywhere else. What's disturbing to me is you're exactly right. We need Republican uh, candidates to speak out against any type of violence anywhere in the United States. They seem to be comfortable enough with it when they promoted it uh, January 6th. It's, uh, I don't know what this is. This is just a horrible, horrible circumstance. Uh, an 82-year-old man with a hammer. I mean, uh, uh, what, do they, what do we have to do? We have to guard every uh, candidate we have uh, with millions of dollars. And uh, I don't know where it's headed. But anyway, uh, they should all yeah. speak out against it today. 
Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. The statement that uh, came from Adam Kinzinger is the kind of statement that we should be flooded with right now from not only every Democrat, but every Republican. As Dem- as Adam said, every uh, Republican who is an elected official, every Republican who is a candidate should be coming out against this. But let's just see in the hours that unfold. Let's just see how many of them really take a stand against this. I mean, we've seen from Glenn Youngkin already, you know, yes, uh, violence is bad. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But look, uh, yeah, no, Mm -mm. no, it is unacceptable in any way, shape or form. And you're absolutely right, Jim. If uh, if a Democrat had broken in and uh, attacked Mitch McConnell's wife, um, Republicans would be would be screaming bloody murder. Their heads would be on fire. Um, and uh, let's hope that their heads are on fire because of this, because they caused this. They they laid the groundwork. They laid the tinder. They poured the lighter fluid on. And then they put a box of matches on the ground and walked away. And what did they think was going to happen? What did they think? Jim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Um, Bob from Indiana is on the line. Hey, Bob, how are you? Oh, Johnny. Well, sadly, I think uh, the uh, Yunkin Donut uh, is uh, probably these days more typical of what you get from any of them, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, the, the infection is so deep. That I I just think that that's uh, what you kind of get across the board, uh, more by and large, with them from the attitudes. But uh, but uh, I was all, I was already even before I got that ticked uh, uh, off today because I don't recall ever happening to me in the mail. And I know it wasn't a mistake because it's my name, correct, and address. I got a nice little letter wanting uh, uh, money uh, for something called, I believe the name was the Conservative Leadership uh, Foundation uh, from a chap by the name of Jim Jordan. Does that sound familiar? Uh, uh. Well, that's kind of, you know, that's the what, that's what my stomach was doing. Um I did not send them a check exactly, but I did send him a little advice. I did write on the thing and I sent it back uh, that he should get a jacket. And uh, so uh, we'll see what happens. See, 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 uh, see if he changes, uh, you know, his dress code a little. <sighs> um, but that's the first time I ever got uh, a right winger. Uh, money request in the mail. I don't know how that happened. I got plenty of the Democrats. You know. Well, you know, um, I sometimes I think that <laughs> that maybe they even share lists between parties. Uh, Ray, my partner, has made some Democratic donations, and he started getting missives of pleas for money from Donald Trump. So figure, how did that happen? I don't know. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to say how they get our information these days, isn't it? 
They got the wrong address that time, I tell you. Amen. 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 Well, it's interesting. um, You know, the one good thing, though, well, we'll see. Boy, we're going to see very short time now. But I had to go through uh, a little town not too many miles from me out here uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's for generations, historically pretty solid uh, Republican town. And I was just surprised at the large amount of uh, Democratic signs I saw all over people. Really? Yeah. And uh, I said, well, if that's, uh, you know, because they're not out on street corners, they're in the yards. And I says, well, if that's an indication of what's going on across the state and country, then uh, we may pull this stupid thing off. (laughs) I hope so. so. I absolutely positively hope so. You know, I don't believe the the pollsters who say that uh, women have forgotten about Roe v. Wade. I think that's utter nonsense. I think Uh, that between that and... And and people's revulsion at what the Republican Party is wreaking when it comes to violence, I think. I can go ahead. I can tell you uh, factually that I know uh, four of them for sure that have not forgotten that and other things, and can and will if they haven't already be voting, and they are not. Voting Republican in any way. So, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, yeah, I, I'm hoping that um, that there's, you know, going to be some uh, big surprises, uh, unpleasant ones on the uh, elephant side of the aisles around the country. And, uh, well, let's hope that you and I are both correct about that, Bob. And thanks for calling in. We need uh, we need to go to a commercial break. Um, uh, I'm going to have an update from whatever we know knew about Nancy Pelosi's husband Paul, who was attacked in their home this morning. I'll have an update, and we'll take more calls right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Early this morning, Nancy Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, Paul, was attacked in their San Francisco home. A 42-year-old man broke in uh, when police arrived for a quote-unquote wellness check. I don't know if that's because an alarm went off or because Paul called them. Uh, they found Paul and the assailant struggling over a hammer. The assailant got the hammer and started to hit Paul Pelosi with the hammer. Police took him into custody. And uh, Paul Pelosi was taken to the hospital. 
Um, the latest on that is that uh, he is expected to make a full recovery. And uh, CNN's Jamie Gangel is reporting that Nancy Pelosi was able to speak to her husband before he went into surgery. And while it has been made clear that he's not undergoing brain surgery, he did have head injuries. He had head injuries from this hammer attack. I don't know. It sounds kind of like we're splitting hairs here. Uh, the 42-year-old man taken into custody has been charged with, among other things, attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, burglary, and a few more felonies on top of that. And I, I told you how uh, a year ago... Kevin McCarthy said that when he takes over as Speaker of the House and gets that gavel, it's going to be hard for him not to hit Nancy Pelosi with it. Ha, ha, ha. Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, speaking this morning, said that while he doesn't condone any violence, hey, at least we're getting Nancy out of Washington. <laughs> and don't forget, Marjorie Taylor Greene, has said in the past that Nancy Pelosi was guilty of treason and then told Green told her followers that, you know, that's a crime punishable by death. Mm hmm. Yep. They have been talking violence for a very long time now. You know, honestly, we're lucky that nothing's happened until now. And we're also lucky that at least so far, it appears that Paul Pelosi is indeed going to be making a full recovery. He is in surgery. Nancy spoke to him before he went into surgery. Um, but we are told that he did indeed have, quote unquote, head injuries. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Michelle is calling in from Denver, Colorado. Hey, Michelle, how are you today? Thanks for calling. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty disgusted myself. We got to live with these crazy people. Yeah, they've killed people of color. They are anti-Semitic. They don't want black people in this country that we built. They literally are threatening people. They're shooting people in grocery stores. They're going after Democratic candidates. Civilians aren't safe. No. What no. are we doing here when we're not, when we're putting up candidates that repeat this stuff, when we have a Fox News station that's allowed to regurgitate it on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Our tax dollars are going towards these people. There has to be something that says this can no longer happen ever again, because our democracy is over. And when I say it's over, it is over for this country. If these people get in, it is done and people don't take it seriously. I argue with people on a regular basis. I'm depressed because I see the writing on the wall if we don't stop this now. We're literally going to be killing people and enough have died. 600,000. What happened to the Republicans when they killed 600,000 Americans? And we had to sit here and watch it day. 
can't keep going like this. It's continually ignored. Not enough people care. And it's insane. It is literally insane because this country will be done. They just said today, Marjorie Taylor Greene said they're going after Biden. They're going after Pelosi. They're going after all the Democrats. They're going after the corporations that don't contribute to them or don't fall in line with their beliefs. And then on top of that, even if we win this battle, DeSantis is next. So what are we doing here as human beings? We're 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 literally killing each other over nonsense. That's not even factual and true. It's not true. Donald Trump did not win this election. Eighty one million people said, hell no, we don't want him in office. And that has to be the standing word. We have the Republicans refusing to help an American president succeed. They're rooting for high gas prices, inflation. They don't want to do nothing about it. They don't care about the border or high crime. They have the highest crime rate. The the the, the, the gun laws, none. Right. And it's insane. It is totally insane what's happening here. And people are afraid. Believe me when I tell you there are people afraid of what's going to come next, especially black and brown people. And black people built this damn country, and it won't save us. It literally won't save us. I, the hell these people are unleashing on us. I hear you, and I, I feel your pain. I believe that there are more of us than there are of them, and that we will take this country back. It ain't going to be pretty. It's going to be one election at a time. And by trying to get people to vote, you are doing exactly what needs to happen. Exactly what needs to happen. Thank you, Michelle, for your passion. And thank you for the work you're doing. And I'm right there with you, babe. Uh, You and me, we're going to fight this fight. And thank you for the call. We need to take a break. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and we always talk about the news of the week on Fridays. Um, The news, however, is being dominated by an attack that uh, police were called to at about 2.30 this morning in San Francisco. They found Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, struggling with an assailant. Uh, the assailant grabbed a hammer out of, uh, out of his hands and started hitting him with it in the head. Um, 82-year-old Paul Pelosi is expected to make a full recovery, but he is in surgery right now. Not, we're told, for brain surgery, but he did have head injuries. Nancy Pelosi was able to speak with him before he went into surgery. The subject, this, the, the, the subject who hit him is in custody. Um, apparently, um, his plan was to tie Paul Pelosi up and then wait for Nancy Apparently, he kept yelling, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? 
Nancy was in Washington. Uh, the man uh, pulled into custody is a big supporter of the My Pillow guy and a lot of real far right wing causes. His uh, social media is supposedly pretty much a, a mess of conspiracy theories. He's been charged with a list of felonies as long as your arm. I told you uh, Mitch McConnell right away put out a statement that he was horrified and disgusted. Um, the president has put out a statement saying that he's praying for them. He's glad Paul's supposed to make a full recovery. Uh, apparently, even House Minority Leader, Leader Kevin McCarthy, who mm, just about a year ago said that when he was House Speaker and given that gavel, he'd have a hard time not hitting Nancy with it. Yeah, he called uh, Nancy Pelosi to see how Paul was doing and to say he's praying for a full recovery and is thankful they caught the assailant. Good for you. Good for you. That's just excellent. Mike Quigley has put out a statement this morning on the assault uh, against Nancy Pelosi's husband. I'm very relieved to learn that Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul, is expected to make a full recovery. My thoughts are with the Speaker and her entire family right now. This incident makes one thing clear. Violent political rhetoric has consequences. And unfortunately, this is not the first time we are seeing those consequences play out. Inflammatory language from right-wing commentators and GOP political leaders must be taken seriously. Not only should we take these threats and hateful language at face value, we must also be doing more to protect all government officials, Democrats and Republicans alike. This moment represents not just a tragic time for the Speaker's family, but a dark time for our country, where individuals are emboldened by far-right media, conservative elected officials, and yes, the former president himself, Donald Trump, to commit dangerous acts. Violent rhetoric must end, and those perpetuating it must be held accountable. That is the statement from Illinois Congressman Mike Quigley, released um, just about a half an hour ago. Let's go back to the phone lines. Laura is calling in from California. Hello, Laura. Thanks for joining the conversation today. Hey, thanks, Joan. I'm actually not calling from California. I wish I was. I'm actually from Crown Point, but... I wanted to make a comment about your last caller, Michelle. Um, There's probably a lot of people who listen to that call who thought, oh, now, come on, Michelle, it's really not that bad. But I, too, feel very, very frightened about this, this brand of violence that the Republicans are stoking, and I don't think it's enough for for um, Speaker Mc- or for Mitch McConnell to, to make the comments that he does. There, there's not enough of the Republicans that are speaking out against this, and and I really believe that this whole attack on on Paul Pelosi has been fueled by a lot of this violent rhetoric that the Republicans are spewing. And I just want to let everybody know, too, I voted early and I voted straight Democrat, and I can't see myself ever doing anything else after all of this garbage that's been spewed in this country. And I I also don't ever remember a time going to the polls where I've seen people 
um, with tactical gear, threatening other people, whether it's just by hanging around them with, with wearing guns. I just have never seen this in this country. So I'm very alarmed, too. Yeah, Thank it you. really, you know, it really uh, brings it home in a really visceral way. Stuff that we've talked about and that we knew was happening and discussed intellectually. Um, this is this is the result. This is the end point. And anybody who has been tossing off violent rhetoric, you know, thinking that they were just making a, a statement that was going to get them clicks, um, has to has to rethink their strategy today. The, they really do, because um, I agree with you. The Republicans who are crazy are just crazy. Those are there's always been people who had fringe beliefs and they have found a place now where they feel comfortable. The ones that I cannot forgive are the people who know better and don't want to say anything, which I think is a lot of the Republicans who are in elected office and a good majority, maybe of the maybe not a majority, but some of the people running for office. They know better, but they can't afford to tell the truth. They can't afford to stand up to the bad behavior in their party because they're afraid they won't get elected. And they might be right. But think about if they all did it. Think about if it wasn't just Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Think about if the majority of the Republican Congress people banded together to put out a statement. Individually, if they speak up, they become a target. But there's more safety in numbers. Unfortunately, it would take a leader other than Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy has shown that he is absolutely without not just a spine he i don't believe he has a single bone in his body he's like you know those those floppy men outside of car dealerships oh the wind is blowing this way oh the wind is blowing that way whatever i have to say to you to get you to support me that's what i'll say to you and then i'll go to the next office and i'll say the exact opposite thing because it's all about me being speaker that's all that matters This is what you reap when that's what you sow. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Brad is calling in from Elk Grove Village. Hey, Brad, how are you today? What does the United States do with terrorists? Well, hopefully we arrest them and put them in jail. No, they throw them in Guantanamo. They need to throw this clown there, let him rot under the merciless sun, throw away the key. Remember all the stink the Republicans made about the guy who was outside of Brett Kavanaugh's, Brett Cabbagehead's house? Remember yeah. that stink? Yeah, okay. and they they and were quick to pass rules when people were protesting you know, they, on the sidewalk. People quietly right, protesting right. on the sidewalk. Oh, we can't no, have that. No, no, oh this, no. But this no, but this guy said 
he wanted to kill Kavanaugh. He's been charged with attempted murder. Now, my point is this. This guy, where was the Secret Service? It doesn't the Secret Service, don't they guard the, don't they guard the spouse? No. The number three person in line to the. The short answer is no. 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 Yeah. Nancy Pelosi has a security detail. Um, Clearly, there must have been some secure system in place um, because, you know, nobody the police don't normally show up at a house at two thirty in the morning for a quote unquote wellness check. That's the kind of thing that they do if like a family member calls and thinks there is a problem. So my guess is that maybe there was an alarm that went off. I mean, um, aerial footage of the house from uh, the NBC Bay Area helicopter shows what appears to be either a, a, a large window or even a French door with broken glass uh, hanging open. So um, I would Im- I would imagine that they have a state of the art security system. But no, I don't believe he had. No, he doesn't have round the clock protection. No. But this guy is a terrorist in every sense of the word. He's a terrorist because he is trying to trying to sow fear into into the people that are against them, and that is the definition of a terrorist. Yeah, he's a terrorist. Hey, you're not going to get any argument from me, Brad. By the way, I just looked that up, and it says here uh, the speaker has a security detail provided by Capitol Police. Paul Pelosi, however, does not receive protection from Capitol Police or any other government entity when he is not with the speaker. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. These Republic Republic morons. Uh line up behind the idea that this guy is terrorist. Mm-hmm. They are spreading yeah. they are spreading a terrorist terroristic message to so here into the people. Same thing at the polls when people are you know, intimidating people who go to vote. Same thing. And let's call it for what it is. And let's forget about this Toxic masculinity, it's toxic controlling machismo. Masculinity is not aggressive. Machismo is. We need to put the right label on it. That's what we need to do. And I'll I'll let let the next caller get in. Thank you. Uh thank you, Brad, for that call today. Um we have time for at least one more call before we break for news. Let's go to Al, who's calling from Gary, Indiana. Hey, Al. Hey, how are you? Uh, yeah, I, I think people should disabuse themselves with the idea, even though it's frightening, that this is going to go away on its own. Uh, we will not be able to count on this Republican Party. It's so infected. Uh, this The tentacles of this crystal fashion uh, fascist uh, confederacy has reached all the way to the Supreme Court. The Secret Service, uh, Oath Keepers have, and, uh, and other militias have infiltrated 
numerous places. And if you think the Republican Party is going to get on board and help get their party back after it was stolen from them, uh, I think we're all kidding ourselves. That's not going to happen. Well, you know, I thought the uh, same I thing. I, I thought I really thought Adam Kinzinger uh, would raise a bunch of money and start a, a, maybe you can call it the new Republican Party so that uh, some of the Republicans who had abandoned the party under Trump could could join in. But uh, both he and Liz Cheney seemed determined that this this incredible cruise ship of a strange radical Republican Party as it exists now. They think this cruise ship can be turned around. Maybe they're right, but you're I think you're right in that it ain't going to happen fast. It is going to be a very slow, very painful process. And it's now self-sustaining, in my opinion. Uh, People have been trained ever since Rush Limbaugh that in order to own the libs, you have to deny science, you have to deny history, and really, you deny reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People can't argue with that. They've been trained. Now they do it on their own. They don't need Rush Limbaugh anymore. They don't need Alex Jones anymore. Uh, You know, it's helpful to have those uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, people as a, as a, a platform, but uh, they've been trained, and that is what they are all about now. Uh, in order to own the lips, you say insane, crazy things, watch a normal person's head explode, and then you say, I own the lips. You know, that's, that's the name of the game for these people. And meanwhile, Wall Street Republicans continue to make money, knowing all along that their party was infiltrated by these Christo-fascist uh, Confederacy types. And uh, as long as they were making money, they're fine with it. Well, now the party's stolen. And there's even foreign entities involved in the Republican Party now. So uh, how we're going to uh, stamp out this this vile uh, virus that we have, uh, I don't think you should depend on Republicans to do it. Yeah. Uh, as long as I think, sadly, I think you're right. I think they have to lose election after election, and then maybe the ones the ones who are cowardly will then grow a spine and say, hey, you know, we don't want to lose any more elections. You know, we better do something different. I think that's what it's going to have to take. Anyway, we have to take a break for news. Thank you so much right, uh, for joining the conversation today. We are going to be right back just after the hour with um, more calls. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Remember when you get to work to hop over to WCPT820.com or the TuneIn Radio app and stream The Stephanie Miller Show weekdays 8 to 11 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. It is Friday on Fridays. We always talk about the news of the day, the news of the week, but the news of the day is eclipsing everything with uh, Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, being attacked this morning by a man who broke into their San Francisco home, hit him in the head with a hammer, 
And apparently was the plan was to tie Paul up and wait for Nancy. The guy kept shouting, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? <sighs> he has been taken into custody and charged with a number of felonies. Paul Pelosi was able uh, to speak with his wife before he was taken into surgery. Um, he does have head injuries, but he is expected to make a full recovery. Uh, we are pretty much... <laughs> Pretty much talking about this today. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dave is calling from Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, thanks for calling. Hey, John. Yeah, and that uh, Pelosi, they also said that he, when the uh, assailant uh, wasn't looking, he was able to dial 911. So I don't know if they had any kind of real security. Oh, my God. I hope they had a, an alarm system. But, uh, you know, if uh, thank God he could call 911, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they said while his uh, sailing was turned, you know, his head was looking away or something, he had time to do that. And and it said that he got hit multiple times in the head. Yeah, that well, so, but Janine, whatever it was, you know, it was enough to send him into surgery. Yeah, and because when I was talking to Lady B, I said, one of the first on the very, should have been Trump. The puppet master, the one that's been, you know, enraging all these people. He should have been the first one calling. Yeah, I haven't seen anything uh, so far about uh, Donald Trump offering his condolences or or his uh, prayers for the family. Uh, I'm sure it, I, I hope to God he's capable of doing that, but I'm not holding my breath. Or, or lastly, what about uh, Mike Pence? Because on the day of that insurrection, Pelosi, uh, thank God it was Pelosi's daughter had that documentary film where mm-hmm. where she told him not to get in that car even to that and to be safe and everything. Yep. And it was Mike Pence. You know, he's supposed to be some kind of holy roller. Or wouldn't he be a, you know, you think he'd be with some compassion calling, you know, Nancy up and that and just to, you know, let her know on that, or Steve Scalise, a guy that when he got shot up on that field, I mean Nancy and that they were they were all all the Democrats and and Nancy and that they all I went almost like prayer vigil for the guy in that. Yeah. That time after that baseball game. Well, let's hope let's hope Dave that maybe some of that is happening behind the scenes and and we just haven't heard about it yet. Though um, it would be hey, Joan. Yeah. And on the other modern news, uh, with Musk owning Twitter, how soon do you think he's going to take, uh, uh, bring Trump back on? Well, um, you, um, Dave is right. Elon Musk is now the official owner of Twitter. He is, rather than making it a publicly traded company, going to be taking it private, which pretty much means that he can kind of do whatever he wants to do. He announced today that he's putting together, I don't know whether it's a task force or a panel, uh, but he's putting together a group of people who are going to decide. They're, they're going to be set the standards for content moderation, but it's going to be a diverse group. Like, uh, you know, I'm assuming that there will be maybe somebody from the Heritage Foundation or the Daily Caller or Breitbart is going to be on that committee. So uh, this is uh, Elon Musk's way of saying, oh, look, content moderation. This is what the committee said where when he um, 
has members. I'm I'm guessing that there are going to be members of that committee that are going to be very open to far right right points of view. And I think you can start setting a timer now and uh, probably I think Donald Trump will be invited to come back to Twitter. The only speculation is that if he does come back to Twitter, he's kind of sounding the death knell for his own platform, Truth Social. So whether or not he wants to, will he, he's probably worried if I come back to Twitter and Truth Social dies, will, will people say I'm a loser? I don't know. Uh, that I think is going to be the only thing holding him back. But uh, yeah, uh, Elon Musk, folks, is the new owner of Twitter. And the first thing he did <laughs> was fire all the top executives. He t- fired the CEO. He fired the CFO. He fired uh, the chief lawyer for Twitter. Um, and uh, they were supposedly, from the one story I read, hustled out of the building rather quickly. So I don't know if they saw that coming or not, or maybe they thought they would have a little breathing room, but they did not. So, uh, Dave, thanks for the call. Um, we need to go back to the phone lines here. Um, let's see where are we at now. Um, Sal is calling from McKinley Park. Thanks for waiting to join the conversation, Sal. Hi. Hi, John. I'm sure you can hear me. Can you? Yes. Yes, I can. Yeah, my my thoughts are uh, I'm very very sorry that uh, this happened, and uh, my uh, condolences go to Mr. Pelosi and his family. And um, we need to find a way to curtail hate speech on social media and in the public sphere. Other countries, I think, do better at this. I know the EU has regulations on Twitter that Elon Musk will be forced to observe. And we need to find a way to hold hate speakers accountable. Um, you know, I just heard on the news that uh, the group that was responsible for the attack on Sam and Rushdie was uh, being sanctioned by the U.S. government. And here we have a group in the United States that is, you know, encouraging political violence. And yet, <laughs> because of our freedom of speech and so on, you know, we have reservations about any kind of uh, action in that regard. It's something that we have to work on. I I don't have an answer right now. Yeah, you and me both. The other thing thing I want to mention is that we now have the three biggest social media outfits are WeChat, which is monitored by the Chinese government, so there's no privacy there. Facebook, which is owned by Mark Zuckerberg, who has sold our information, you know. Yeah, left and right. Yeah. And then we have Twitter, which is owned by Elon Musk. So, you know, we have to be aware of that as users and consumers of social media. And maybe in the future, we'll figure out a way where we can have a communication platform that is not beholden to large corporate interests. And my final thought is that, uh, you know, we have been saying that uh, it's expected that uh, Mr. Pelosi will have a full recovery. And, um, of course, physically, you know, he might have a full recovery, but there will be trauma, you know, anytime that... Oh, my God, I can't even imagine how I would feel after the fact 
uh, of having someone break into my home and and attack me. I, I can't even imagine living with that. Um, you know, uh, I'm a member of Veterans for Peace, although I'm not a veteran. You don't have to be a veteran. But I heard a veteran speak one time, and he said, imagine two scenarios. Imagine you're walking down the sidewalk, you fall, and you break your leg. And imagine a second scenario. You're walking down the sidewalk, someone attacks you and breaks your leg. Which one do you think you will recover from faster, mentally? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks, thanks so much for the call, Sal. Thanks for waiting to talk. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back with more calls right after this. Take Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are... Talking about, well, it's Fridays, you know, yeah, news of the week. No, we're talking about the news of the day. We haven't even had a chance to discuss things like, um, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis dying or Elon Musk owning Twitter because of the horrific news that Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, 82 years old, is in surgery right now uh, because an intruder broke into their house, hit him in the head with a hammer shouting, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Apparently, the plan from this 42-year-old wackadoodle was that he was going to tie or somehow restrain Paul Pelosi, and then he was going to wait for Nancy to show up. Nancy Pelosi, of course, is in Washington. Well, she was in Washington. Obviously, now she is en route to California. She by all accounts, was able to talk to her husband on the phone before he went into surgery. Uh, He does have head injuries, but everyone is saying at this point um, that he is going to be making a full recovery. Okay? A full recovery. That's what everyone is saying. Mike Quigley has offered his prayers, as has President Biden. Mitch McConnell said he was horrified. Even the the weasel, Kevin McCarthy, apparently uh, called the speaker or at least tried to call the speaker to say that he was going to be praying for her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron, thanks for joining our conversation today. Yes, um, the attack on... uh Pomosi, it, uh, it just shows that there is no spokesman for the Republicans and no leadership uh, to say that we do not condone violence of any, of any kind. Let's work together instead of just saying once we get the majority, we'll get our revenge. And also, I was listening to the uh, right-wing media, and, they all, and of course, they brought up the uh, attack on Brett Kavanaugh by a Biden supporter. And they tactfully brought up the fact that uh, Paul Pelosi was arrested for a DUI last August. They couldn't miss that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that what uh, shows what he's a man of bad character and deserved to be hit in the head with a hammer. I mean, seriously. 
Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that right wing media is not going to, um, sadly, uh, respond to this in a way that is compassionate. I mean, can you imagine what Tucker Carlson's going to say? I'm sure somehow it is going to be the Democrats' fault. Who knows? Maybe it's Nancy Pelosi's fault herself. You know, you never can tell about these things. Um, But it's... Go ahead. Somebody's going to say, well, they had glass doors in their house. They shouldn't have glass doors. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows what they're... Yeah. It's going to be something ridiculous like that. You know, what he's referring to is um, the NBC television station there in the Bay Area, uh, shot some aerial footage of the home, and you could see what appears to be either a very large window or possibly a, a French door that has broken glass and is hanging open, which you know is either how the police got in um, or how the intruder got in, or perhaps both. Yeah, they're saying the intruder got in that way. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for the call. Um, let's go to Steve, who is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Fine, thank you. I think that what you'll get is sort of three or four different sorts of responses from Republicans slash conservatives. And you'll get, first of all, you won't get anything from a lot of them. It's not as if the Lauren Boberts and Marjorie Taylor Greens are going to send out condolences or anything else. Um, I suspect that either one, they'd go ahead and uh, somehow find a way to rationalize this, or two, more, more likely than not, just say nothing. There'll be a deafening silence on the part well, of. Well, you know, I was just talking a little while ago about how uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that Nancy Pelosi was guilty of treason, and you know what we do with people who are guilty of treason? We um, we execute them. Exactly. These are the these are the kind of people that have thrown gasoline on this fire for for years now. So you shouldn't be surprised that this that this manifests itself. And you've got uh, sort of people in the second category, and those are the ones who, you know, they'll sort of send out their condolences, as you've already uh, you know read that online. And but they will not then take the task. Their role in this, the role of their party, the role uh, the role of this extremism within their party. No, 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 you're not going to hear that. So, yes, we have my, you have my condolences. We hope that your husband gets better. But, you know, mm-hmm. the source of this, God forbid that we address the source of all of this, the extremism that you've allowed to foment within your party and what you're going to do about that. No, no, we're not, we're not going to see that at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, we live in a society, America is different than other Western, uh, developed Western democracies in that we have one, we have codified into law the right, the the, the notion that free speech is essential in a, in a free society. Um, now, obviously, when you're talking about online platforms and so forth, they're not public entities. It's not the equivalent of a sidewalk. But uh, nonetheless, we, we do believe that people should have the right to express themselves. So we wrestle with this uh, of what should be allowed and what shouldn't. But add to that the fact that, we, you know, that we have uh, so many guns in this society. So it's one thing if, you know, some, you know, in Belgium, or Norway, you know, you would have extremism. The, the lack of access to the, the kind of firearms that we have makes it very different. So you can have extremists, but okay, what are they going to do? They're going to show up and throw rocks at people. Um, very different than, you know, what we have here. We have a large contingent of people who are extremists and are extremely well-armed. I mean, we're talking about military well-armed. So that's, that's created a, a real recipe for disaster. And, the, and these people, because they found each other on social media originally, it wasn't until a few years ago that social media really began to regulate 
the, the kind of hate speech and extremism um, that you found there for years. And, and these people found each other there. They galvanized there. And mm-hmm. now, you know, and, and now that they've moved off of the mainstream social media sites, they're on, they're on these sort of fringe sites. And these people openly advocate for another American revolution. They are a third one because they are defending the Civil War and defending the, the perspective of the South in terms of the Civil War. I mean, so a violence against uh, officials. You had a guest on, I believe, a, a day or two ago that talked about, you know, the, the way in which all of this has sort of manifested itself. In, in, in this alternative reality, these people believe that Democrats slash liberals are actually kidnapping children, drinking their blood. I mean, engage, all the QAnon craziness, you know, that we're that we're, the, the Democratic Party is just another word for communists. And we're heading down this path. You know, and so these people believe and it, it's too long to go into because QAnon involved just a whole bunch of stuff that uh, you can't get into on, on a show such as this. But it, these people, again, uh, they found each other online and they managed to galvanize the, the online. And now the question is, what is the Republican Party going to do with the Frankenstein monster they created? Because it's coming. Absolutely. Up well, you know what I think, Steve, and I, I, I have a feeling you might agree with me on this. They're going to disavow that they created that um, that Frankenstein, they are going to say, well, you know, uh, you know, we didn't do this, um, this. And I'm sure if they take the time to try to analyze this and, and find a root cause, I guarantee you the root cause will be something that the Democrats did or didn't do, said or didn't say. Um, because this is not the Republican Party that we have now. There there was a time I could, I'm old enough and I'm pretty damn old. I'm old enough to remember when politicians and parties would sometimes say, you know what? We messed up. That was a mistake. We're going to do better. We're going to do things differently going forward. I don't think that kind of uh, courage exists anymore. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, it, when, when Richard Nixon had his back against the wall, there were enough Republicans in this country, people of common sense, who said, you know what? It's over. You know, it's time for you to step down. And what you did was wrong. And the, the, the survival of the republic comes before our party or before your presidency. Today, there are only a handful of Republicans. And you see where they are today. And people like Liz, Liz Cheney and Kinzinger and others, you know, Mitt Romney. I mean, they're either on their way out or out of their party for now. And perhaps they can come back sometime down the road. But uh, again, it's about the identity of the Republican Party, because as you and I both know, in the hours and days following January 6th, the Republican Party seemed to have that turnaround. At at long last, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Let's condemn Donald Trump. Let's condemn MAGA. Nope, they held their hands up to to the wind and said, no, these people are still our base. Mm -hmm. They're not condemning this. They're champing. So all of a sudden, everybody turned around and said, Oh, well, we're going to champion this. We're going to we're going to ask whether or not the election was stolen. We're going to further that conspiracy theory. We're going to continue to support Donald Trump because that's where their bread is buttered. But again, absolutely, you know, that monster that they created. Ab- absolutely, this is this is the culmination of what they have seemed to be working toward, working for. Um, I I think that you have to reap what you sow. And this kind of violence, it's, you know, it's not going to be the mainstream Republicans or even even the ordinary crazies. But when you espouse these kinds of beliefs, 
when you say things like, when I'm the Speaker of the House, it's going to be hard for me not to hit Nancy in the head with the gavel. Or when Marjorie Taylor Greene says Nancy Pelosi is a traitor and or she's she's committed treason and we kill people. We execute people who've committed treason. You know, when the January 6th people wandered the halls, you know, yelling, Nancy, Nancy. I mean, I'm actually kind of yeah, surprised yeah, that something absolutely. like this hasn't happened sooner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if you're saying to yourself, OK, are all Republicans racist? No. But if you're racist and you're looking for a party in America, the Republican Party is pretty attractive. Yep. Oh, my God. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, listen to what we're hearing. Oh, we've shoot. We're going over the commercial break. I just want to say real quick, listen to what you're hearing from Ron Johnson. Don't vote vote for Mandela Barnes. He's not one of us. He's different. I mean, come on. Uh, Steve, thanks for the call. We, uh, Lady B, I'm sorry, we need to take a commercial break. We are going to continue this discussion until four o'clock. So please, uh, 773-763-9278, give us a call. We are going to continue talking right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are opening the phone lines. We are talking about the news of the day, which has been dominated by the fact that uh, very early this morning, about 2.30 in the morning, police showed up at the Pelosi residence in San Francisco, where they saw Paul Pelosi, 82 years old, struggling with an assailant over a hammer. The hammer was won by the assailant who started hitting Paul Pelosi in the head. Paul Pelosi is described as being in surgery, but we are told that he is expected to make a full recovery. Nancy Pelosi was in Washington at the time. She is now en route to California to be with her husband. Per the Washington Post, uh, Nancy Pelosi, of course, has a security detail. But the only time that there is security for Paul Pelosi are on those occasions when he is with his wife. Um, we are hearing from all kinds of leaders. Senate Majority Leader, Leader Chuck Schumer issued a statement. Um, he said that he called the speaker. He said this was a dastardly act. Um Steve Scalise, the uh, Republican congressperson who was himself shot during a congressional baseball game, issued a tweet saying, disgusted to hear about the horrific assault on Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul, grateful for law law enforcement's actions to respond. Let's be clear. Violence has no place in this country. I'm praying for Paul Pelosi's full recovery. Contrast that with what we heard from Republican Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin this morning, who said, oh, you know, violence is never right. Um, But 
actually, let me just read the whole damn quote. Listen, I want to stop for a minute. This is what he said to the crowd. Listen, I want to stop for a minute and listen. Speaker Pelosi's husband had a break in last night in their house and he was assaulted. There is no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. That's what we're going to do. The crowd cheered. The crowd cheered. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, somebody beat him up. Well, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of people don't like Nancy Pelosi, but at least we got her out of Washington. What a pig. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say that. I always apologize to pigs because I love pigs. They think they're smart animals and they can be very loyal and they do not be need to be compared to Glenn Youngkin. Um, I've got to find some other comparison. He's like a he's like a weed, I think, a weed growing in your lawn, not the good kind of weed. <sighs> so um, we are taking your calls. Let's go back to the phone lines. Jeanette is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jeanette, thanks for calling today. Oh, lady. Oh, we lost. OK, then let's go to Lou, who is calling in from Huntley. Hey, Lou. Hi, John, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I got to say, I stumbled upon your show by accident, and now I love me some live local and progressive radio. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, I've turned some of my local 150 heavy equipment operating engineers to your show. Well, good. And one thing that we were talking about is, um, you know, some of us have children that are going to school out of state. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still like to vote here back home. Like, for instance, my son is uh, the University of Michigan. How could he register and vote for this midterm election, which is so important, from Michigan? You know, different states have different rules. There was a time, and I'm not sure this is still on the books, but because the Republicans in Wisconsin were worried about, you know, like Madison with all the universities being real democratic. There was a time when they said, Oh, a student ID, that's not, you can't register with that. So it depends on the state board of elections and the rules in, in their state. My daughter went to school in Ohio and she was able to register to vote in Ohio while she was there. But I don't know that that kind of uh, um, freedom to register where you are currently living exists everywhere for college students. You'd have to look into the rules there. I will. Thank you very much. And again, keep up the good show. Uh, like I said, love me some live, local, and progressive. <laughs> uh, thank you. Love myself some Lou and appreciate the call. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Um Roosevelt is calling in. Hey, Roosevelt, how are you? Joan, thank you for taking my call. And I'm going to stick to my script and say have a nice weekend. Thank you. you. And uh, I wanted to mention something. I think I heard it on your show today, and I think I heard it yesterday. I'm not sure. You guys mentioned Rush Limbaugh. And all this started with Rush Limbaugh, the way he delivered his show. It put ideas into the Republican Party over the years. Ideas on how to handle their uh, elections, how to go about uh, uh, being more uh, aggressive, more uh, offensive, Hmm. and in particular, to be more uh, 
in other words, to, to plant the seed of violence. And it look, look where it got us to. It got us to paling doing the crosshairs on a map of the senators, Democratic senators, that voted on things that she wasn't behind. And it got us to the point, the guy that you guys are not mentioning, I don't know if you mentioned that, I tuned in late today, and that's Trump. And he overtly, every time he had, um, he always had to mention something violent something to point the finger at and it got us to the point of the insurrection so in a way i'm saying jones alex jones rush limbaugh put the ideas of the republican party that now it's no longer the republican party it basically is the ideas of those talk show hosts and all the guys that came after them like savage and what's that that other guy uh oh there's dan proft there used to be Joe Walsh, but <clears throat> he has come uh, and gotten religion and is, uh, by in his own words, trying to make amends for all the bad he did. And I have a confession to, I have a confession to make to you, Joan. Uh, Joe Walsh used to have a show, and I used to be on his show at the same time I was on your show, because I would listen to his show, too. So he would let me on, and he was strictly against Trump and Trump's ideas. That's why he's out. And you know that as well, because he had him as a guest. But back, yeah. to my original, back to my original conversation here, and that is that it got us to the point of all these guys, even Hannity, Fox News, all they're all in putting the ideas of the Republican Party that now is unrecognizable to the point that they have no compassion for their fellow Americans. And that's just it. The Democratic Party, when somebody gets hurt on the other side, you mentioned Scalise. There's a perfect example. You know, there's Pelosi, a woman that is a religious woman, and she stands up for her fellow uh, Congress people and her fellow Americans. You don't get that from the other party. Why? Because they have to follow the script of Fox News and those those guys that put the ideas over the decades, over the years, started with Rush Limbaugh. And every you go down the line, all of them, savage. The, the way he delivers his show, listen to how he delivers, how forceful his words are, how strong he delivers his words, and all these lead to this. By in my opinion, lead to to this this point and to your point, and I agree with you 100%. It, 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 this, I expected this to happen a lot sooner. Sorry to say, but it's the truth. Because mm-hmm. look, what Trump, look what Trump said about us as Mexicans. Look what Trump said about uh, African-Americans. You know, look what Trump, you know, he says, when you arrest these people, who are these people? It's us, the minorities. When, you, when the police arrest them, don't be too soft on them. Remember he said that? You know, hit them in the back of the head, you know? <sighs> Yeah. So all this, you know how they say art imitates life? Well, the the art of delivery of these words from Fox News and all these people has now, that's that's the idea of the Republican Party, what's left of the Republican Party. They have no compassion for another person. They have no empathy for another person. And and look, look what happened in the insurrection. Same thing. We heard uh, Pelosi on the phone. She was looking after all the congressmen. All the yes, she was, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes, she was. So she was looking after everybody. You don't get that from the other side. You don't get that. No. Why? They have to stick to the script. That is. That is. They have to stick to the script because if they deviate from the script, they are cut. You know, I was talking to a, a one of my guests a long time ago. 
about um, all the wacky things that a lot of Trumpists believe. And he said it's they probably don't all believe all of it, but they cannot say I believe A and B, but I don't believe C because it's a tribe and it's all or nothing. And if you don't believe everything, you are not one of us and you get kicked out of the tribe and nobody wants that. So even the parts that they think are too extreme or they don't believe, they don't say anything about it is it is the the policy it is the party of cruelty and silence. And and John and John, just two three days ago, I seen Cruz on the View. Do you know what he said about? Because Anna Navarro took him to the whipping post, and she told him, "How can you stand behind a man as Latinos as us that said that your wife was ugly?" He laughed it off. He says, "Oh, my wife thought it was very funny." You know why? Because he has to stick to the script. So even if exactly. it affects their own people, even if it affects their own people, it says, how can you not stand by a man that said that your father had something to do with the Kennedy assassination? So he says, you know, well, you know, I have my responsibilities. He goes, what about your responsibility to this country and our constitution? You're a constitutionalist. So why? So he says, well, you know, he laughed it off. Everything that Trump said about him, just him and his family, he left that off. Well, what's he going to say? Um, yeah, I was humiliated and my wife was humiliated, but we need to stick with this guy to stay in power. So I just had to suck it up. I mean, he's not capable of that kind of, of honesty. He's he's just not. Yes. So yeah. I just wanted to point that out, that basically they're following the scripts of all these guys. They've been on the radio for years, for decades. There's another guy, a Jewish guy. I know, I know Savage, that's not his real name. But anyway, there's another guy. He's been on for ages up, up the dial from you guys. Uh, I can't think of his name. But he's on every day. And the way he delivers his stuff, he's done this stuff all the time. You know, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, hmm. But anyway, I know he's got a beard. I know he's got a beard, uh, you know. I, I can't. I can't remember. Um, either way, Roosevelt, I've 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 got to get uh, to a break. Thanks so much for the call. Always appreciate your participation in the show. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Facebook, message us. Instagram, follow us. Twitter, tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT eight twenty. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820. We are talking about the news of the day and taking your calls. Uh, Starting at 4 o'clock, we are going to talk to some candidates. We're going to talk some politics uh, the big news of the day is, of course, the attack on Paul Pelosi, 82 years old, in his home early this morning. Uh, a man broke into the house yelling, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? The apparent plan was to tie or restrain Paul and sit there and wait for Nancy, who, of course, was in Washington at the time. Um, Paul Pelosi was hit in the head with a hammer. He is in surgery. Nancy spoke to him before he went into surgery. We are told he is expected to make a full recovery. A little earlier today, the spokesperson for the San Francisco police made a statement about what happened and how they responded to it. I'm going to share that with you now. 
At approximately 2.27 this morning, San Francisco police officers were dispatched to the residence of Speaker Nancy Pelosi regarding an A-priority well-being check. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. Our officers immediately tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took him into custody, requested emergency backup, and rendered medical aid. The suspect has been identified as 42-year-old David DePepe. Mr. Pelosi and Mr. DePepe were transported to a local hospital for treatment. The motive for this attack is still being determined. Mr. DePepe will be booked at the San Francisco County Jail on the following charges. Attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, burglary, and several, several other additional felonies. And that's where things stand right now. <clears throat> Nancy Pelosi is on her way to California from Washington to be with her husband. But again, we have been told repeatedly that he is expected to make a full recovery. Let's uh, hope that that is exactly how this plays out in the what do we what do we have here uh, in the week? A little over a week before Election Day. Let's any violence is too much violence. But dear God, let's pray that nothing like this happens between now and then. We are uh, taking your calls. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Bruce wants to join our conversation. Hey, Bruce, thanks Hi, for Joan. calling. Hi, Joan. How are you? I'm okay. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about two races that are probably not on the high uh, view except for with the PACs, and that is the race for Illinois Supreme Court Justice in the second and third judicial districts. Uh, the PACs have spent, I think, uh, played by the rules PAC, have spread not untruths about a connection between uh, Judge Elizabeth Rochford and Judge Mary Kay O'Brien with trying to tie them together with Michael Madigan. Ugh, beating that, beating I, that drum still. I, Really, I appear before Judge Rochford many times. She is a superior judge. She should be elected. But people don't know about these things. And the Republicans are trying to spend their way to a majority on the Supreme Court. And Illinois will be in deep trouble if that happens. Exactly. And I want to make sure that all of your listeners that live in the second, which is Lake McHenry, Kane County, vote for Elizabeth Rochford. If people in DuPage vote for Mary Kay O'Brien, it is gravely important. 
literally the majority of the Illinois Supreme Court, whether it will be Republican or Democrat, is going to be decided by these two races. And as was what I forget to remind people, this isn't like Congress where, you know, they've got a short term. This isn't like state rep or state uh, senator. These are 10 year terms. And if we get a Republican majority, the two people, Burke and Curran, who are the Republicans running in these races, they have made it quite clear that they are happy to turn back the clock and put Illinois in the same abortion basket that we now see Indiana in or Alabama in or Arkansas in. Um, they have made no secret of the fact that they are more than happy. And frankly, legislators in uh, the state legislature, our state legislature have made no secret about the fact that they are going to be bringing cases to try to challenge the woman's protections, the woman's right to choose the abortion protections that exist in Illinois, as was pointed out to me by Terry Cosgrove, who's the head of personal PAC. There is already a court case where um, all the protections that we have enacted are being challenged. That court case is working its way through the courts. If we lose those two seats and those two Illinois Supreme Court seats end up going to the Republicans and that challenge works its way to them, well, they're going to say, well, of course, this is a fine challenge. Yes, all those protections, all those all those laws, phooey. They're no good, you know, um, and which would lead to all of it being undone, which would lead to Illinois being as limiting and restricting as the states that surround us. This is and that's just one issue. I mean, these people who are running one of them, I forget which one, whether it's Burke or Curran, has never even been a judge before running for the Supreme Court. And he's never even been a judge before. But why is he running? He's running because he's far right. And Republicans love their far right candidates. You got it. And that is 100 percent. You couldn't. You said exactly what I was thinking, but said it a a lot more, a lot better (laughs) than I ever could say it. Well, thank you for bringing that up. That has been a subject that I have been trying to talk about. Each and every day, because I know a lot of times when people see judges on the ballot, they get confused. I mean, you know, what is an appellate court judge? What is a Supreme Court judge? What do they do? Um, you know, why is it important? So I think it's really important to keep talking about it. And um, even though Elon Musk now owns Twitter, he hasn't, as of today, quite ruined it. So on my Twitter feed, at Joan Esposito, C-H-I, I've linked to all different kinds of judicial guides. As a matter of fact, I even linked to an article that Monica Eng wrote for Axios Chicago, where she told you some of the best places to go to get advice on the judges. It is it is an it is an annoying part of your ballot because you see all these names you've never heard of before and you don't know what to do. But it is an important part of your ballot and one that I hope you will pay attention to. Uh, Bruce, thanks for that call. By the way, um, speaking of Elon Musk, 
While we have been on the air, I told you he is now the official owner of Twitter. He says it's go- he's going to take it private, which means he'll be able to do pretty much whatever he wants. He said he's going to put together a content management committee or task force uh, to decide what kind of content is going to be allowed uh, dollars to donuts when we get the composition of that. You're going to find people from Breitbart or the Daily Caller or some real far right, who knows, Newsmax, OANN. And uh, if you think they're not going to ap- approve some pretty nasty content, you are not paying attention. First thing he did was he fired the three top executives of Twitter. I mean, literally, they were escorted out of the building, like within a sh- very short time after the deal closed. CNN is now reporting uh, that because of the way, I guess, their contracts are structured, he's going to have to pay those three executives nearly $200 million. He, 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 he. Okay. Schadenfreude. We are going to take a break for news. We're going to talk politics and candidates right after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. This hour of Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hawkberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. This segment of Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive is sponsored by State Representative Candidate Mary Beth Canty, who joins me now to talk about this race and uh, and also the 54th District in general. Mary Beth, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So talk to me about the 54th District and um, the work you're doing to fight against your opponent, Michelle Hunter. Uh, Thank you. So the 54th District is a new shape this year, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's the eastern parts of Palatine, the northern part of Arlington Heights, all the way up until uh, a touch of Buffalo Grove. Then we have a huge part of Prospect Heights and a little bit of Wheeling and a little bit of Mount Prospect to round it out. So we've focused our campaign predominantly on door knocking. I myself have knocked about 10,500 doors. Um, and then my campaign over. I know, I know. I'll be honest with you, Joan, you can't see me since I'm on the phone, but I've lost about 20 pounds. I don't doubt it. But my but my campaign volunteers have helped push us over the 21,000 door mark. So we're we're working pretty hard out here to make sure that we reach voters every way that we possibly can. And um, that's exactly what it takes. That is exactly yeah. what it takes, that kind of, you know, that I think is from all of the different t- campaign tools that I've talked to people about, getting out there, knocking on doors, telling people who you are, asking them what their concerns are. I mean, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, that's, what that's are people saying to you as you, you know, knock we- doors? It's, 
it's really interesting. Um, you know, since I've been doing this for so long, we've I've seen some shifts. But the things that remain constant are gun safety. People are terribly concerned about gun safety and what more we can do uh, to prevent gun violence. Um, and so that's always right at the top of the list. The next is being able to control your own body, right? So we know mm-hmm. that that comes out of the, the choice uh, movement, but we know it applies to a lot of different things, right? If you, if you lose the ability, the right, the freedom to make your own healthcare decisions for one group of people, it remains to be seen if the rest of us get to retain it, right? So people are mm-hmm. desperately worried about that. And then the last bucket is kind of this financial bucket, right? People people are hurting a little bit. And so, you know, they're feeling it when they go to the grocery stores. They're feeling it at the, at the gas pumps. They're worried about property taxes. Um, and so those are all, those are all issues um, that, that come up pretty consistently at the doors. Um, not necessarily in that order, but usually in some combination of that order. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where you find out boots on the ground. That's, I mean, that's where you find out what people care about. Um, talk to me a little yeah. bit about you, the difference between you, Mary Beth, and your opponent, Michelle Hunter. I, I will be honest with you, Joan, it is like night and day difference over here. So I very much um, believe in having experience, being well-versed on issues. You know, in 2019, I was elected to the village board here in Arlington Heights. And part of, uh, part of that has given me, um, I think, a really good outlook on what it's like to lead in this state, what it's like to lead in a bipartisan way. You know, these village boards are nonpartisan. So I work with people all across the political spectrum. Um, and we also have to do things that are right by our community um, in a way that's fiscally responsible. And I, I've delivered on all of those things, you know, infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, public safety in terms of our police and fire. We have one of the best funded police and fire pensions in the state. And we've helped our small businesses and our residents through the pandemic in greater numbers than ever before, all without increasing our property tax levy any year that I've been on the board. So we've held the line on property taxes. It was one of the things I said I wanted to do when I was running for trustee, um, and I've been able to deliver on it. So one of the things that I tell people here at the doors is I will always fight to make sure that you have the right to control your own body, that you are able to make your medical decisions in conjunction with your doctor. Because it doesn't matter if I agree with your medical decisions or not, they're not mine to make. So I make commitments to voters that I know I can keep on an individual basis. I don't make, you know, grandstanding promises that are kind of pie in the sky, uh, things that we wanna, that, that we wanna hear from leaders that might not be actually very effective. Yeah, and uh, that's something that people have become sensitive to, candidates saying what they don't really believe, but what they think they have to say to get elected. And that's one thing that I'm very proud of that Democrats, I'm not saying that Democrats never do it, but to, to a far, far less degree than Republicans do it. Now, the incumbent yeah. uh, for this seat, Thomas Morrison, is not running again. Does that make things a little bit easier for you? Um, you know, I don't know that it makes things easier. I I think my opponent is Tom, Dor- Tom Morrison 2.0. You know, he <laughs> has 
donated pretty extensively to her campaign. They share the same values. They attend the same events. Um, so I'm not really sure that there's much daylight between her and and Tom Morrison. You know, this district has been red for decades. Um, you know, it's it's been a really long time since a Democrat has won this seat. And we lost it. The Democrats lost it in 2018 by 43 votes. So oh. I don't think it makes it easier that, that Tom Morrison is not running. I think we're running against Tom Morrison 2.0. And I've treated this race that way um, every day of this campaign. And that is why I hate to hear people say, oh, I might vote, I might not. I'm just one person. My vote doesn't matter. That is so untrue. That is so it, untrue. It makes me it makes me crazy, Joan, or, or folks that say I'm not going to vote because I don't feel well versed on the issues. And I think you have time. You have time. I can help you. I'm standing on your porch Right now, I will answer any question that you have. And I I would really encourage people, you know, when candidates come to your door, that is your best opportunity to learn who they really are, because you're going to catch them off guard with your question that might be very specific to you, but it will help you understand who they are as people. Anything you're looking at online is curated one way or another. So when candidates come knocking, give them a chance, throw them a question um, yeah. and, and put it out there and never think that, you know, it, it is not possible for you to vote. We make it really easy to vote in this state. And there are so many resources where you can learn about candidates and hear from them. Yep. Tell me a little bit about your background. I understand your dad was a Navy pilot. Yes, my dad was in the Navy for 24 years, um, and so we we traveled around a little bit when I was a kid before he retired in, in when I was in the fourth grade. Um, and I'll tell you that uh, we lived in Puerto Rico on the Navy base there for a time when I was really little. And then when we came back uh, to Virginia, I remember kids telling me about Santa flying around on this sleigh. And I was so upset because I said, no, 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 that's not true. He comes in a helicopter. I know because I've seen him. They would do a a party on the base and that's how Santa would come in, you know, in one of those big helicopters with the sliding door and Santa would be waving out as he landed. Um, But so, yes, my family, (laughs) my family background is one of service and dedication to community. You know, my mom's been in, uh, she's an optician and she's done that for about 50 years. Um, at various points, my parents have each owned uh, their own small business. They have been involved in uh, philanthropic groups. Uh, my dad ran a nonprofit for a period of time when I was younger. Um, so that's really where I come from, is a family that wants to make their community better by being part of it. Um, so I am a lawyer by by training and, and right now by trade. Um, but I've also, you know, I've been a management consultant. I have worked uh, at an insurance company on both the claim side and the business side. Um, and so those are those are values that help me to understand where people are coming from. I like to take in what I'm hearing from people and then, you know, sort of repeat it back to make sure I've understood what it is that they say. And I think that's another thing that, you know, good leadership does. 
right? It, it takes in mm-hmm. the feedback that you got from your constituents and then says, what I'm hearing you say is this, right? Yep. To make sure that we're all speaking the same language. Um, we're speaking to Mary Beth Canty, who is a candidate for state representative in the 54th district. Uh, we are going to return to this conversation right after a break. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. Uh, It's just refreshing. The David Pacman Show. There are lots of people who never like Trump, and there's still a significant number of people in the Republican Party who publicly go along with Trump because they saw the way the tide was turning and they see the way the wind's blowing now. They believe that Trump has been damaging to the party, and so they'd rather someone else, and right now that someone else seems to be Ron DeSantis. That's it. We don't go to deep state because there's no evidence of that. The David Pacman Show. Weekday evenings at 10 on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And this segment of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive is sponsored by Mary Beth Canty, who is running to be the state representative in the 54th district here in the state of Illinois. And Mary Beth, I've got to say that your list of endorsements, it's almost like a, a perfect Democratic scorecard you've got going here. You know, every town for gun safety, students demand action, Planned Parenthood, personal PAC, Sierra Club, Equality Illinois, AFL-CIO, the Federation of Teachers, the Education Association, and so on, and so on, and so on. Don't forget the firefighters. And the Daily Herald. <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could spend the next 10 minutes uh, going into this list. But what it says to me is that you are representing the positions, the issues that Democrats care about, um, making our communities safe, combating violence, yeah. And women's reproductive rights, among uh, um, yeah. among many others. Uh, talk to me about some of that. Yeah, so those are issues that are incredibly near and dear to my heart. Like I said, you know, I've knocked thousands of doors. And uh, I told someone the other day, you know, they asked me, how do you have the energy to do this? And I said, this is the part that I love because some of these stories are so great and you will jump for joy with people on their front porch, you know, meeting someone who just became a citizen is going to get to vote for the first time. You know, they're so excited to hear from you, but then some of these stories will really break your heart. Right. So, you know, I knocked the door of a young teacher the other day. She, she teaches sixth grade and she told me that she teaches with the door locked um, because she's afraid that if the intruder alarm went off, she wouldn't have the wherewithal to be able to lock the door in that moment. And so rather than run the risk that she doesn't lock it, she just keeps it locked permanently. And I said to her, you know, we're failing you. We're failing you and we're failing your students and we're failing each other, right, when we do that. So there's more that needs to be done, and I hear it every single day 
on these doors, you know, and when it comes to a person's medical decisions, I cannot imagine a worse place for the government to be. You know, a lot of these stories will break your heart of what families go through. And, you know, I get asked, are you pro-life? And I say, yes. And let me tell you what that means. I believe in contraceptive care. I believe in prenatal care. I believe in age-appropriate sex education. I believe in all of these things. And then I also believe in making sure that people have access to good wages and affordable health care, that they have safe places to live, that they have food security, that they have education that is well-funded and easy to access and everything that happens in between during your pregnancy my heart is with you whatever you're going through that is between you and your doctor and whatever god it is that you do or do not celebrate it's not a place for me to be as a politician you know that is we should we should write that down print that on a card because you just you know you really you just stated it so beautifully and, you know, when people talk to me about these issues, I, you know, my attitude is, you know, let's back up here. You know, I'm not going to argue with you if your religion tells you one thing or if your religion talks to you about when a life begins. Um, but what I what I'm going to say to you is the government has no business in my doctor's office. I don't believe what Dr. Oz said, that these decisions should be made by a woman, her doctor and local political officials, which is what he jaw droppingly said during his last debate with Fetterman. I can you can you imagine can you imagine if you went to your doctor's office and on your way you had to pick up one of your village trustees just to make sure that they sign the paperwork at the end? It's ludicrous to me. It is it is dystopian. It is the kind of thing that is in science fiction books, but not the kind of thing that anybody should ever have to live with. It is, you know, regardless of your religion, regardless of what you believe about when life begins or or what things should be accepted or not accepted. Take a step back. Get the government out of the doctor's office. Let these decisions be made medically. Get the government out of the doctor's office and and have hospital administrators stop breathing down the necks of doctors. You know, there was just after these laws started to fall, there was an NPR story of a woman who was pregnant with a child she wanted, but the pregnancy was in deep trouble. She was, I think, in Texas or somewhere in the South. And she said her doctor, she was in the ER, and her doctor was writing text messages on their phone and showing them to her about what they thought because they didn't want anybody to overhear them saying things like, you know, this is not viable. You need uh, you need to abort this fetus. Um, This is the kind of Uh, it was absurd. And that's the world we live in now. It, it really is becoming that way. And, you know, one of the things that I think uh, makes me so nervous about this election, right, is hearing people say, well, we're in Illinois, and so we're safe here. We're protected. You know, we, we codified Roe v. Wade. And, you know, we're only protected here in Illinois as long as people vote. You know, I've got I've got two kids and I think about what future we're going to leave for them. We just can't be complacent on this one. You know, the the 
stakes are too high. We can't assume that because Illinois is blue uh, or typically has been blue, that it will be blue. And we can't assume that because someone gets up on a debate stage and says, you know, well, abortion is protected here and, and that's not changing, but also our laws are extreme. When I hear that, when I hear someone say our, our laws are not going to be touched, but they are extreme, it says to me, you want to change them. And exactly. you change them if you get the opportunity. And we should all be nervous about that, right? You're, you're leading voters down a garden path to sort of lull them into a sense of complacency so that they won't feel the urgency that they really should be feeling right now. Yeah. You know, the whole Darren Bailey about abortion. Well, you know, I couldn't change that law even if I wanted to. Yes. But the question is, do you want to? Uh, that's the question, because we all know my, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my own opponent has said similar things, you know, that uh, abortion is not on the table in Illinois. But our laws are extreme. She said it just the other night at a, at a uh. League of Women Voters Forum. And and all I could think was, well, we've heard that before. So yep. if you're if you're running and you think the laws are extreme, aren't you running so that you can change those laws? That's what it sounds like to me. Absolutely. They want to have it both ways. They want to signal to their far right followers that, yeah, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know what I'm going to do. But then to the people who they perceive as being undecided or in the middle. Oh, don't be afraid of me. I'm not going to I'm not going to upend the apple cart. You can trust me. It's you know, it's uh, they want it both ways. And it is an extremely dishonest way to campaign. You believe in something? Tell me you believe in it. You don't believe in it? Be clear about that as well. Don't give me that Brett Kavanaugh. Well, you know, it's precedent and we all respect precedent. Oh, but Brett, you didn't. You didn't respect precedent. Now, did you? Um, So in the time we have left, Mary Beth, what is it? What is the one message you want our listeners to take away? The one message that I would say is for them to be part of the movement. Help us flip the 54th district and turn it blue. There is early voting going on right now at the village halls in Arlington Heights, Palatine, and Mount Prospect. They are open all during the day today until 5 p.m. They are open on Saturday and Sunday for the next two weekends. Uh, They're open all of next week. And in Arlington Heights Village Hall, they'll be open all the way until 7 p.m. starting on Monday of next week. And what's really, really fun, and I'm not sure that everybody knows this, uh, is that in suburban Cook County, you can go to any of the early voting sites so long as you live in suburban Cook County, and they can pull up your ballot. So if you live in Mount Prospect, but you work in Arlington Heights and you happen to be close to Village Hall for work, pop over there and cast your ballot. Don't leave it up to chance. Don't leave it to Election Day. Get out there and vote. Mary Beth Canty, you're going to see her on your ballot if you are voting for a state representative in the 54th district. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today to tell us uh, about your candidacy. And I really hope I really hope this race goes blue because you are espousing the very kinds of ideals that the Democratic Party holds dear. So, Mary Beth, I wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully we will talk again soon. 
Thank you so much, Joan. It was a pleasure being here, and I also hope to see you soon. Yeah. We're going to take a break now. We're going to be back with more right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Nancy Pelosi's office has just released an updated statement on Paul Pelosi's condition Paul Pelosi, her husband, was attacked in their San Francisco home about 2.30 this morning. Um, He was hit with a hammer by an assailant who was apparently screaming, where's Nancy, where's Nancy, where's Nancy? Uh, I guess the plan was to restrain Paul somehow and sit and wait for Nancy to show up, and God knows what would have happened then. Anyway, uh, Nancy Pelosi said she spoke with her husband before he went into surgery She was assured he would make a full recovery. Her office has now issued this statement. Um, Mr. Pelosi was admitted to the hospital where he underwent successful surgery to repair a skull fracture and serious injuries to his right arm and hands. Doctors expect a full recovery. The speaker and her family are thankful for the outpouring of support and prayers from friends, constituents and people from around the country. The family is immensely grateful to Mr. Pelosi's medical team and the law enforcement who responded to the assault. And they're asking over and above that for privacy at this time. Not exactly the news we wanted to head into the weekend. But we've got to keep our eyes on the prize, which is a midterm election, which is practically on our doorstep doorstep. Um, And um, we need to really pay attention to that. Uh, Right now, I'm uh, talking to Eric Lindell, who is in Wisconsin, an Ashland city councilman. Eric was a Republican, lifelong Republican. Uh, but he left the party in 2018. He uh, wasn't real thrilled with Mr. Trump and what he was doing. And he has also weighed in on some recent statements and actions from Wisconsin's Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Eric Lindell joins us now. Eric, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So you wrote a very eloquent statement in 2018 when you left the Republican Party. Could you give my listeners a taste of that? Yeah, so I had grown up uh, since childhood in a very conservative household, and I had worked on a who's who of political campaigns across the country, from Norm Coleman to Vern Buchanan to George W. Bush, and I didn't work at the Leadership Institute and the Cato Institute and um, just really, as I watched the party drift more and more radical and more and more to the right, uh, beyond positions I had even grown up with, and I started recognizing the loss and rights of what that would mean and just watching the extremism, um, the things that, you know, when you grow up and you're told, well, you know, 
ethics matter and people's morality matters, and then just to watch that just go out the door so they could have someone in Donald Trump who could just, you know, sort of poke the left or take it to the left um, in Twitter just really turned me off. It was bad policy, and it's just, it's fueled this rise of extremism, and um, I just said enough, I'm, I'm leaving, and, you know, if that costs me friends and that costs me opportunity, I'm fine with that. Talk to me about what you see in Wisconsin in the Senate race, Ron Johnson versus Mandela Barnes. You know, with Mandela Barnes, you have someone that I can relate to. He's worked third shift to to try and get ahead. He understands what it's like to, for hardworking Wisconsinites uh, to decide between paying bills and paying for medication. He's, you know, he's someone that can can relate to me and understand the hardships that we're going through versus someone in Ron Johnson who, you know, went from being a tea party, I want reform to being an extremist out of touch. Uh, he's never worked a third shift. He doesn't know what it's like to um, decide between I'm paying rent or am I paying for medication? Am I paying my heating bill this month or am I paying for my my uh, my loved one's hospital stay. He doesn't have to make those choices. And so in we've seen since Trump got into office, Ron Johnson has done everything he can to support Trump. Uh, January 6th, election denying the 2020 election was valid. Um, this is just, you know, just buying into the conspiracy theories and just really feeling the rise of right-wing extremism in the state of Wisconsin. You recently um, made a statement after it um, after Ron Johnson came out and um, we you know was uh, involved in this whole fake elector thing. And then on top of that, Ron Johnson's campaign hired an attorney to work for them, an attorney who tried to overturn the presidential election results, you know, as a former Republican what goes through your mind when you see a, a prominent Republican doing these things? Just how far we've gone away from the rule of law. I mean, the Republicans always used to, you know, transitional government was a sacrosanct thing. Even if we didn't agree with the results or were disappointed in the outcome, it was peaceful transfer of power. That's what our message was. The entire world was the United States was one place you could always count on the modern age to have a peaceful transition of power. And here we are, not just you know, asking for a recount, but saying that there was voter fraud and conspiracies that, you know, ballots overnight were just dumped and um, leading up to the culmination of January 6th, in which, you know, as a former intern, he used to give staff, he used to give uh, tours. That was not just some normal day. You didn't on a normal tour assault police officers. I mean, that's not protecting, that's not uh, supporting law enforcement. That's turning his back on law enforcement. And just to deny that and to watch as Confederate flags wave through our capital, that's something that didn't even happen during the Civil War. And it's just really tragic to watch as the party's gone. I don't even know if it's the Republican Party or just the party. I would say it's just the party of Trump now. Um, so many of the leadership, you know, in Wisconsin, from Paul Ryan to Ron Johnson, have just, they went silent and they caved into this extremism. Mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot of Ron Johnson's ads against Mandela Barnes seem to be a dog whistle about race. You know, Mandela Barnes, he's different. Mandela Barnes, he's not one of us. Do you think that kind of messaging is going to resonate with people in Wisconsin? 
I think it resonates with his base, but beyond that, I don't think so. Once you get to know Mandela Barnes and you look at his record, he has a record of supporting middle class with hardworking Wisconsinites. He, you know, like I said, he's worked a third shift. He understands what it's like to have to work a third shift to get that pay differential so you can make ends meet. Um, Ron Johnson only can attack because he doesn't have a record. If we start looking at his record, he's only enriched himself and he's only enriched his uh, his well-to-do friends, or he's only done things to, for example, uh, get judges appointed that'll strip away um, our loved ones' rights. I mean, that's his record. So, you know, it's very, it's really just sad to watch as he uses the same dog whistling campaign. But I think Wisconsinites are very smart, and I think they see past that, and they understand that he hasn't shown up for us when we need him to. He's, you know, I can't think of the last time he's been or been up to northern Wisconsin, and we're a place that really could use um, some assistance. Do you think that men, you know, because a lot of the polls show have shown Mandela Barnes behind, uh, either behind by a little, behind by a lot, um, maybe one poll I s- saw said, well, if the younger people, the younger people really support Mandela Barnes, if they show out in great numbers, he's got a shot. What do you think um, the outcome of this election is going to be realistically? I think realistically it's going to be with Mandela Barnes going to the United States Senate. I mean, these, you know, we know that female voters are registering or out registering male voters. Um, we know they're upset about the Roe versus Wade. We know that, uh, you know, polls are always tight. When I heard that Mandela was up by 7 or 10 early this summer, I said, that's going to switch. We're just used to close elections. But this is a trend. People are not excited about Ron Johnson. That's why he has to go on the attack. Because, again, what record does he have to run on? He doesn't support a child tax credit for uh, working families. He doesn't support tax cuts for the middle class or small businesses. It's all about him and his rich friends. Yes. Do I think it's going to be a long night on election night? Absolutely. But do I think we're going to win? Absolutely. That's why I've endorsed Mandela Barnes, and I'm doing everything I can up in northern Wisconsin to help get him elected. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, 2018, when we got Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes elected to the the governor's mansion, that was a long evening, too. So here in Wisconsin, we know about tight elections, but I am confident that, um, you know, the Wisconsin Democratic Party and, and... the campaign, they have a ground game that is second to none, and we're going to turn out the vote. Well, you do in Wisconsin, man. You guys, you guys like those close elections. You drive those of us who watch election night crazy with, uh, with how tight. I mean, you know, 0.1%, 1.0%. I mean, 1.0% is a good election margin in Wisconsin. Uh, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a long night or maybe even a long day or two. Uh, and I, I, I hope that other people are seeing what you're seeing in this race and, and vote for Mandela Barnes. Eric, thanks so much for talking to us. I, I know you don't have a lot of time and I appreciate you squeezing us in today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with a little bit more right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. 
Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. You know, every Friday I tell you to spend a little bit of time over the weekend, assuming you don't have to work, which I know many people do, and I did for many, many years. Um, If you are free over the weekend, find one thing, just one thing that brings you joy and make sure you work it into the weekend. One of the things that brings me joy is talking to my good friend, Tony Fitzpatrick, who is going to round out the week with me right now. Hello, Tony. How are you? Hey, you. How are you? Well, you know, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. But I've got to say this whole attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband has really given me a bad case of the ickies. I feel really icky about it, and I am so glad that he is going to survive. So do I. I um, it just underlines the fact of just how emboldened uh, the the alt-right-wing crazies are. Um, they are beyond the pale, and they are now a cult. They're, you know, mm-hmm. no better than Manson followers. It, uh, you know, I saw uh, from Samantha Bee's show, Jordan Klepper always interviews Trump people. And he was talking to these two women at a rally. And he said, so, you know, people say, you know, those it's a cult around Trump. And she goes, oh, no, we're not a cult. And he said, "Okay, well, what is it about what is it that Trump says that you really, really like? And they thought about it for a minute and they said, oh, anything that spews out of his mouth, we love. And he looked at him and he said, but you're not a cult. And the woman was like, no, we're not a cult. Are we a cult? I don't think we're a cult. You know, self-aware. Oh, my God. Joan, these are the kind of people who drop by uh, Jonestown for a few glasses of Kool-Aid. Oh, my God, yes. The only thing different, as I've said before, is that Trump would charge them for the Kool-Aid. He'd make them uh, pay up front. Absolutely. Um, hey, tell me about this Batman show before we get too distracted. What What is Batman show? It opens tonight at the Dime. And uh, me and my pal Danny Torres, it's Danny's idea. He's here with me, by the way. Hey, Danny. How's it going? It's going good, Danny. Good. Sorry about Danny that. Danny curated his first show about uh, the iconic, you know, from my childhood and yours. Uh, Batman, you know, I mean, Batman actually dates back to 1939. Um, Kane and uh, and Finger, the two guys who came up with him. And um, he's, you know, he, he's a very different kind of uh, iterations of Batman over the years. I mean, there's everything from what we remember, the real campy TV show, to, uh, you know, the darker uh, Batman of uh, the Dark Knight, and the most recent one was Robert Pattinson, the Batman, which me and Danny saw just both thought it was the best of the Batman movies. Really? Yeah, that one was good. I liked it, too. You know, I'm, I'm working on a body of work called The Lunch Drawings, which are an examination of uh, the things that spoke to me in childhood. And, and largely it was comics, cartoons, and that's kind of where I, I got my marching orders from. And a great much of it was extremely subversive um, and extremely anti-authoritarian. 
And you find a lot of that lurking in the, in the cloak of Batman. So, you know, between uh, Danny and I, we asked all of our friends, and Danny did a really smart thing. He got all of the street artists he knew, and then all of the kind of, you know, academically trained artists we knew, and, and brought them all together, and everybody has this idea about Batman. I mean, there's, a, there's actually a real feminist thread in this show. Huh. Uh, the women in the show underlined all kinds of uh, unhealthy and, and um, uh, you know, attitudes about Batman, authoritarianism. And, and then um, some of the other women underlined the, the kind of homoerotic stuff going on between Batman and Robin. And, um, you know, it's just uh, it's a fascinating show. I mean, it's not what you would expect. It's not the kind of show you'd see at Comic-Con. No, not at all. And Andy <laughs> did an amazing curating it. I should let him talk. Um, the, the show really stands out because you uh, would expect a bunch of comic book artists um, in the show, but it's it's not that. We do have a comic book artist or two, but we have street artists. We have tattoo artists. We have academically trained artists. We have artists that just make art for the fun of it. And um, it's just uh, uh, one of the best shows I've ever been a part of. It's yeah. beautiful. It's really democratically made. And also, uh, Joan, our friend Jim Terry participated in this show. Oh, that's right. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And, man, um, and, you know, it was, great. it was a great opportunity to get to know a lot more street artists, a lot more comic artists. Um, I knew some of them, but, uh, you know, Danny's, you know, the great, you know, connecting Roddy brings everybody together. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be a wonderful show. If you find your way in this neighborhood tonight, you want to see oh, give show. Give the address. It's at 1513 Northwestern Avenue, 1513 Northwestern Avenue, plenty of parking. When you live in a sketchy neighborhood, it's very, <laughs> very important to say plenty of parking, you know? Yeah, I've been to that neighborhood. There's always plenty of street parking. <laughs> <laughs> you you never know if your car is going to be there when you come out, but you could always get it parked. There is that. There are there are guys walking around these streets who are perfectly willing to park your car for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Well, I think that is so cool. I I I didn't realize that you had reached out to such a wide variety of artistic talent. I mean, street artists Absolutely. and comic book artists and tattoo artists. I think uh, I think this is a great idea. What a wonderful theme, and especially something that resonates with so many people on so many different levels. Um, perhaps I should congratulate Danny. I don't know. It sounds like you, Tony, just kind of sat around and were beautiful and didn't contribute much but your looks. And yeah, uh, Joan, I sat around on my ass, and, and Danny and uh, Sierra Severson put this whole show together uh, from whole cloth. And it, this show really is kind of a gathering of the tribes. You know, a bunch of artists who before didn't much really know each other. And, you know, the, the, the mission Danny and I have with these shows are community building. And uh, mm-hmm. I think we took a step in that direction with this show, The Batman. Well, I think you're absolutely right. That is the that is the bigger picture. And 
It sounds like um, this may not be the last show that this community puts together, but it is uh, certainly setting the bar high. We have ideas uh, for a show next year that's just about comics. We're trying to decide whether it's comics that came in the newspaper or the comics you went out and bought at the comic book shop. Um, When we figure that out, that show will open a year from now. Cool. Well, the Batman show is at the Dime. It is tonight, 1513 Northwestern. Plenty of free parking. Tony Fitzpatrick and Danny Torres will be there to welcome you. (laughs) Uh, That's going to do it for us. Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is up next. Uh, Find a little joy this weekend, please, please, please. And then come Monday, we're going to buckle down again and get this election won. What do you say? Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Good night.